Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. He said uh, the idea of tithe being 10% was voluntary. Really interesting. It's voluntary. Even in, in the uh, Old Testament, the priests didn't really have a mechanism to enforce it. He said it's, uh, it's a bit of a benchmark and that we can take comfort that God is not a legalist. Then he moved into the New Testament and he said, grace, what Jesus ushered in, this idea of grace for us, is not an invitation to do less, but to do it in love for God. And he used this phrase out of 2 Corinthians that says, give what you decide in your heart to give, not out of compulsion. And he said, there are three things that happen when we give. We are blessed, others are blessed, and our thanks to God grows. I really enjoyed what Brian had to say last week. And this week, we're going to move into now a second part of looking at some of the things that the Bible says about our finances and about our heart. So as we, or just before we do that, I wanted to share a story about what we do in our family. Do you have pocket money? Did you ever have pocket money as kids? Well, I I had pocket money, but I can't remember with my allowance, if I had any instruction. I don't remember that there was any sort of clear, Here's, we're giving you some money, but this is what you have to do with it. Well, well, in our house, we decided to be a little bit intentional. And so we give our girls just a little bit of money each, each week. And we say, there are five buckets. And actually, those buckets have turned into glass jars. There are five jars that you can put your money in. And the first jar, we've tried to be very biblical, so we've got a tithing jar. And then we've also got a saving jar and a spending jar and a for-others jar, and of course, a tax jar. And Daddy, the tax man, collects the tax every now and then. I know Daddy gives it, but Daddy's also taking it away. So we're learning about all of these different elements of finance. And our house is a beautiful microcosm of the whole world because we have a saver and a spender. And our spender would, if she could, take that little bit of money she gets and blow it on lollies and chocolate and eat them before it sort of left her hand. She's just really happy to spend. And the other one... She loves saving. She'll pack it away and and every now and then she'll count it and come out and say excitedly, oh, here's how much I've got now. And she's starting to save towards some really interesting things. So it's just fascinating to see that two extremes of the spectrum almost. And of course, as good parents, we're encouraging slightly more towards the saving angle. We're like, oh, that's really good. And no, you can't spend money on chocolate today. So we think that saving is a really good thing. That's sort of the direction we're trying to direct our girls in. But, but let's look, that's our view, let's look at what the Bible says about all of this. And we're going to look at some of the stories that Bree read to us. So let's go to Luke 12 first, if you've got your Bible or your phone. Let's look at that one that Bree read to us. Rich guy, bumper crop. So in verse 17 it says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my bumper crop. I added the word bumper in, of course. Well, Um, If he was here today, he would go to a financial planner and he'd say, Mr. Financial Planner or Mrs. Financial Planner, what should I do with my money? And I'm pretty sure that the financial planner would say, well, seeing he's got a bumper crop, save it, put it into your super. And that's exactly what the man plans to do. The guy's a saver. He's going to put it in his super and it says in verse 18, he said, this is what I'll do, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, 
and be merry. Now, I googled this week, how much money do I need in my super? And here's what I got back. A common rule of thumb, says Google, is that if you want to retire at 60, maybe that's a bit aspirational, but if you want to retire at 60, you'll need to have about X times the amount you have calculated for your annual after-tax retirement expenses. Now, I say X because different websites have different numbers. But somewhere in there, there's clear guidance that you need to save up this chunk of money ready for your super, ready for your retirement. And that's exactly what this guy's doing. He's planning ahead, he's getting ready for retirement so he can take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But here's what the next verse says, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. How do we make sense of this? Is saving wrong? Should we not have super? Well, let's look at another passage, see if this one helps us. Luke 21, again, thank you, Bree, for reading this for us. And, and here, Jesus is watching a widow and she puts two small copper coins into the offering. And Jesus says this, Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What? I don't think Mr. and Mrs. Financial Advisor who are advising necessarily would have given that advice. I mean, can you imagine asking this little old lady, this widow, to go to Mr. and Mrs. Financial Advisor and they say, well, so how much money have you got? And she says, well, I've, I've got two copper coins. And he says, hmm, well, that's not enough money to put even fuel in my car, but I think you should give it all away. I don't think that's what our financial advisors would say to us today. Jesus first seems to be saying, don't save, and now he's saying, well, if you've got a little bit of money, give it away. What's going on? It seems that the Bible is giving us something that's not what we might call common sense. It's very different to what today we would share around the barbecue or if you're giving your mate some advice. It's quite hard to understand in places, isn't it? So my first sort of slide here is that God seems to call us to look at money in a way that often goes against today's common sense. So we read these passages in the Bible and we say, that, that's different to what we see today, to what we might call normal. And my question is, why? Surely saving's good. Surely there's this element of mine being a good steward. And surely we need to think about the future and, and looking after ourselves. Did you know there were 2,350 verses in the Bible that relate to money and finance? 2,350. And at about 15% of Jesus' recorded words are about money and finance. So let's look at another passage. There's lots to choose from. This one's, some people call it the uh, Christ and the rich young ruler. And I think I've got a, a really nice yeah, a picture here by a guy called Heinrich Hoffman. Christ and the rich young ruler. So um, Jesus is approached by this guy and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after a bit of conversation where it turns out the man's actually been keeping the Ten Commandments and he seems like a pretty good guy, 
This is what the Bible says. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. It's getting worse, isn't it? First of all, we're not supposed to save, then we're supposed to give it away. Now we've got to sell everything we own and give it away. It's quite confronting. It doesn't seem to make common sense. But, but let's see if we've read these passages carefully. In the first passage, the rich guy, here's what it says. It says right at the end, he stored up things for himself, but he was not rich towards God. Hmm. Okay, so there's an element of this passage where it's relative. It's that he was storing up for himself but not rich towards God. Hmm. All right, that, that starts to help. And what about the widow? Jesus was making the point not that we should give everything away but it was actually a relative statement showing what was her heart attitude. He was actually saying this lady, despite having a little, her heart attitude was to give it away. Her heart attitude wasn't held tightly by love of money and possession. Hmm, interesting. So this is a relative story, not necessarily telling us we should give it away. And what about the rich young ruler? Now, this guy's really interesting. He clearly is God-fearing. In, in the little bit that Bree read, but we didn't just now, it turns out that he's kept all these commandments... And yet he's approaching Jesus with this what's in it for me sort of attitude. He's asking this question, how do I acquire eternal life? Because I have been keeping the commandments and I've actually been getting it right. Now I want to know how I can get eternal life. There's, there's sort of this sense we get that I want to acquire this. And my heart attitude is how do I kind of get that? And Jesus is saying, well, actually here's the thing that's preventing you from really achieving what you want. And paradoxically, it's that you're holding on to this thing called wealth. So he's, Jesus is saying to this young man, here's the thing, the one thing, he says, that's actually between your heart and God. Jesus could have just said to him, come and follow me. But Jesus chose to identify this one thing. He pointed to that obstacle and said, if you want to refocus your heart on eternal life, you need to focus it away from your finance. So out of those three stories, I, I, I look at them first and I say, I can't make common sense of that, but then I delve a little deeper and suddenly I start to see that in each of them, money is a barometer for our hearts. And God wants our hearts. So God's interest in this area of finance is because he's interested actually in us. He's interested in your heart and in my heart. And money is actually a barometer, and each of those stories seems to show that. There's a guy called Richard Halverson, and he's got this great quote. It says this, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing, because when it comes to a person's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index of a person's true character. And all through Scripture, there's an intimate correlation between the development of a person's character and how they handle their money. 
If you want something slightly more succinct, check out Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Listen to a great podcast from a guy called Tim Keller. Some of you might know him. He's a fairly well-known pastor, preacher in the US. And, and he had this excellent concept that I thought would be helpful to share, this idea of effortless spending. Effortless spending. And the question is, where do you spend, where can you spend effortlessly? Strange thing when I was saying that, I happened to look over at Tim Dawsman and he's saying, there's nowhere that I spend effortlessly because he's our church treasurer. But... Um, Where do you spend effortlessly? Now, for me, clothes is not an area that I spend effortlessly in. Now, I I really, I struggle to go clothes shopping. I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. And I'm going to embarrass my wife now because I'm quite proud of the fact that I own some almost pristine 20-year-old T-shirts and I think they are just fine to go out wearing. I think it's beautiful. We have a slight disagreement there. Maybe you can help us uh, through that. So clothes is not an effortless spend for me. On the other hand... Food is pretty effortless Effortless spending. I have no problem at all when a particular pot of ice cream that I like costs 10 times as much per litre as a litre of fuel to stock up. I don't care if it's on special or not. Buy the stuff. I love it. How about you? Where do you spend effortlessly? Is it, is it on fashion? Is it on cars? Is it on holidays? Is it on eating out? What's the area where you can spend effortlessly? And why the question? The question is because that might be an area where your heart is. An area where your heart is drawn to that and you have no problem with it. And now I want to sit down because I'm going to share something slightly more intimate with you. And that's this. Those are kind of trivial And it's a bit easy for me to stand up here or sit down here and and share with you something trivial, but let me share with you something I was a bit more convicted about this week. I've realised as I was looking at this, praying about it, preparing, that probably the real place for me that's effortless is saving. I actually find that I'm a a saver. I like to push it away and squirrel it away. Why? I started asking myself this question. Okay, well, if that's an indication of where my heart's at, why? Why? And I realised that the effortlessness of my saving is because there's something in me that wants to be reliant, that has this illusion that if I just save enough, if I could save up, then I don't have to rely on anything else. I can be self-reliant. I've got my savings. I don't even have to rely on God that much because I've got my savings if it all goes pear-shaped. That's really challenging for me. I don't know what the challenge is for you, but to find that area where there's an effortless, my money goes in this direction. It's a really helpful indicator, I think, of where our hearts are. So to be really clear this morning, I don't want you to go away and think saving's bad. I don't want you to go away and think, I've got money, I have to sell everything and give it away. I'll give you an example. In Luke chapter 5, we see Matthew, Levi, who Jesus called. And it gives us a description in Luke chapter 5 that he's got a massive house. He was a tax collector, massive house. It says he has a feast with uh, a large company of people. And there is no record of Jesus saying to Matthew, go and sell your house, because if you want to follow me, you have to sell everything you've got. So we've looked at some Bible stories, but there are others where they help us see the picture is not you have to sell everything you own if you're going to be a good Christian. 
but it's about the attitude of our hearts. The question is, when we've identified that place in our hearts where we can effortlessly spend, when we've identified that place where our money goes and we might be holding on a bit tight, how do we move through that? Well, Jesus is giving us the answer. Jesus' answer is by giving. By giving, we release this hold on wealth over our hearts and by giving, it frees us to grow deeper in our relationship with God. Giving not out of a sense of guilt or pressure. Giving not out of a sense of compulsion or, or perhaps to buy favour or to buy something like eternal life. But giving because we want to free our hearts up to love God more. As a kid, I have this recollection of a book that I used to sit at the back of church and read. It's sort of a vague recollection. And it was a really cool story. The story went a bit like this, as best I can remember it. It was about a greedy little monkey. And the greedy little monkey's parents would say to the greedy little monkey, greedy little monkey, if you keep being greedy, you're going to get yourself into trouble. You need to stop being greedy. Yes, mum and dad. So greedy little monkey is going through the jungle one day and he comes across in a hole in the ground a pot and in that pot in the hole in the ground he sees this treasure. Very excited. Greedy little monkey likes his treasure. It's bright beads and things. So he reaches his little hand, can just get it in through the pot and he grabs the treasure. But the hole's a bit tight. And while he's holding that treasure, he can't get his hand out. And he's, he's pulling away, but he's got the treasure and he doesn't want to let go of the treasure. And then, out of the corner of his eye, he sees the hunter coming with a net. And he frantically tries to get his hand out, but he's holding on to this, this treasure that he's got in his hand and he's grasping it and he just can't get it out and the hunter's coming. And I can't, for the life of me, remember the end of the story. <laughs> Isn't that disappointing? But I think the reason that stuck with me, and I'm so sorry, I'm sure we can find that book, but I can't remember the story, how it ends, but here's what stuck with me. The point was that the greedy little monkey, when he's holding on to what he thought was riches, he wasn't free to escape with his life. That someone was coming to take him captive, he was actually trapped because of his hold on it. And I thought, isn't that fascinating? What a beautiful little story to be reading at the back of church. <laughs> the greedy little monkey couldn't release, couldn't release what was an observed, a perceived, maybe this was worth something to grasp on to life. Last week, Brian asked us a sort of a similar question. He said this, he said, there are three things we need to achieve what we want to achieve in life. Can you remember them? Health, wealth, I thought that one, he said money, I think wealth because it rhymed, health, wealth, and something that doesn't rhyme, time. Health, wealth, and time. And he said, why should we give those away? What is it that compels us to give those things away? How do we take that step? And here, I think, is the message this morning. In my mind, the way we take that step is by faith. It's by faith that we give. By faith... I'll give you three things, by faith in three things. By faith in the eternal. We know that God is eternal. 
And we know that when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are offered this seat in eternity with God. That is so exciting. And when we know that by faith, with that perspective, it changes the way we look at things. Think about being in the south of the United States towards the end of the Civil War. Now, they used the Confederate currency. So you've got a whole bunch of Confederate currency. You know the war's coming to an end, and you know our side's going to lose. So what you really need to do is keep a little bit of that currency so you can live day to day. But most of it, you want to convert to northern currency. Because when the war's over, northern currency is the only thing that's going to be worth anything. This eternal perspective is really important. We give by faith, by faith in the eternal. A.W. Tozer, a famous writer, said this. I really like this quote. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. It's by faith we give. Number two, by faith in God's promises. Again, referring to last week, we looked at Malachi chapter 3. Here's what God says in Malachi chapter 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What's going on here? God's saying, you can trust. You can trust what I have promised to you. I've promised to bless you in covenant. You can trust that I will do that. Part of the covenant is turn your hearts to me, but you can trust in me. It's by faith we give, by faith in God's promises. And finally, it's by faith that we give, by faith in God's provision for the future. I love Freddie's video. Freddie, thank you so much for doing that. He told us about a journey that he was on where he had to get to a point of saying, you know what, I'm going to just keep trusting that God is providing for our future. And part of that heart attitude was, I'm, I'm going to be giving. For savers like me, this is perhaps the hardest one. See, I need to learn to trust fully and expectantly in God's provision, not in my savings. Fully and expectantly in God's provision. Savings not wrong. Not at all. Saving's a good thing. But my heart needs to be focused on God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 and 28 help remind me of this. You might know these verses. Jesus preaching a sermon on the mountain. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? I don't. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So let's summarize this morning. We've talked about God calling us to give in a way that that doesn't always look like common sense. Why? Because he looks at our hearts as a barometer. Money is this barometer. Sorry, money 
is what he looks at as a barometer of, of where our hearts are at. He calls us to give. Money is a barometer. And we've talked about having faith. How do we give? We give by faith. Faith in who God is. His eternal and awesome nature. The fact that he keeps his promises and that he promises to provide. But I want to close with this thought. This is, this is the, the closing thought for you. As I was reading our passage in Mark 10, focused on the, you know, the, this rich young ruler and, and having to give away. Do we have to give away? Really, if I'm a good Christian, should I give it all away? Is that what God's calling me to? Is that what he's calling us to? Focused all here. As we read through the Bible, the Holy Spirit reveals stuff to us. It's a living and active word and we have the Holy Spirit that reveals stuff. And here's what was revealed to me. This central phrase that I believe is the key phrase for us this morning and out of that passage. As the rich young ruler is approaching Jesus, as Jesus in his perfect knowledge knows what he's going to ask, knows how it's going to turn out, here's what it says in verse 21. Jesus felt a love for him. Jesus felt a love for him. That's the central part. You see, Jesus wasn't simply being a good and wise teacher. You've asked me how to get eternal life, I'll give you the answer because I'm a good and wise teacher. Jesus wasn't sitting in judgment, saying, well, you think you're good, but you really haven't done enough yet. This verse tells us the central piece that Jesus knows your heart and mine. He knows the decisions you're going to make and that I'm going to make. He knows where we're wrestling in the moment. This whole money thing, it's a bit uncomfortable. He knows where that discomfort is for each of us. He knows what we're going to do about it. And yet it says, Jesus felt a love for this young man and I believe for us too this morning. That's the bit that I want us to go away with. Is that Yes, this is an important topic, but the most important thing is that Jesus loves us and he's interested in our hearts. So why don't we pray together as we wrap up this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, you made us. You made us and you love us. You know everything about us and you love us. You know what our decisions are and what our discomforts are and you love us. Thank you. Thank you that you are the one eternal and perfect God. Thank you for the promises that you made throughout your word that we can trust in. And thank you for the intimate provision that you give and promise. May the earth be filled with your glory now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.